everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. This catchphrase is weird. Uh, a phrase that my friend Nick's stepmother used to tell him. What's mine is mine and what's your dad's is half mine. <laughs> 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 that comes to us from Sandy AXOX on Twitter. Thank you for that. And my name is Thomas. I'm here as always with Andrew. Just switching up the intro order a little bit. What are you drinking, man? I am drinking a white organic building style ale. Uh... And I believe it's uh, organic. It's from Lakefront Brewery, Inc. in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. We're going back to that, are we? We are. (laughs) (laughs) Our our W pronunciations. It's white. Very nice. Uh, I'm actually, it looks like I'm drinking a beer, but it's only 11 a.m. here, so I'm drinking a non-alcoholic ginger beer. Mm. It's very gingery. (laughs) I feel like I could just chew on ginger root. It's great. I, you know, when we go and we have sushi, I take the pieces of ginger and I dip them in soy sauce and I just eat them. Like, I'll eat all the sushi and then eat all the, the ginger. It's like a separate meal for me. The ginger is supposed to be a palate cleanser, man. Shh, you're ruining it. No, honestly, <laughs> I, I say that. Like, I'm on a little high horse here, but that's exactly I don't dip it, but that's what I do. Yeah, it's supposed to, like, yeah, refresh down my sushi. <laughs> like the American well. that I am. And then I, uh, I eat the ginger, which is great. But anyway, hey, if you got catchphrases you want to have right on the show send them over to us on twitter at money matters man or on facebook which is just listen money matters but today we're talking about the fed and we've got larry ludwig back on the show welcome to the show man thank you yeah what are you drinking so, larry i'm still drinking from the prior episode the uh obviously i don't know when you guys are gonna show the these prior ones. episode that was like five months ago <laughs> <laughs> he's been nursing that beer been hanging out months. here in, in virtual land for the past mm-hmm. five months uh goose island still Nice. You've gone from drinking to nursing. Yes, the same bottle. Because Andrew, a bomber usually lasts you a couple episodes, right? Usually (laughs) usually lasts me at least one and a half. (laughs) At least one and a half. So that's like 70 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Seriously, that's me drinking slowly, yeah. But yeah, so today we are going to talk about the Fed. And hey, did you guys know that I actually got interviewed by the Fed recently? Really? Specifically the San Francisco Fed, which I did not know that San Francisco had their own Fed. So apparently there's like the mother Fed, and then there's like all these little baby Feds. And that's about all I know about the Fed, except for that they set some policy thing. So Larry, enlighten us, me and all the other people who don't know what the heck it does. Well, the Fed basically handles the the money system within our country, United States. I mean, they're from, the easiest way to look at it is they, they do monetary policy. So... What that means in plain English is manage the money to either add money to the to the uh, the uh, system or remove money, mm. and that's really all you need to know from Let, a basic level. Let's be serious, Larry. Have they ever removed money from the system? That's a good point. Uh, yes, they have actually. During, really? During the depression? Ah, because they were on the oh, gold okay. standard back then. Yeah, we had a deal with mm. uh, without getting too we're getting kind of the, the horse before the carriage, but we had yeah. We took money. They took money out. Too much money out of the system, which one of the reasons that caused the actual Great Depression. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay, horse before the carriage. Um, no, sorry, sorry. Go on. We we interrupted you. Um, in terms of uh, the answer to your question, though, Thomas, they, there are twelve Fed reserve system, uh, twelve Fed banks without within the country. One of them, San Francisco, New York, of course, is one of the more popular ones. DC is their main headquarters. St. Louis, Colorado. Uh, where's another one? Uh, Texas? Uh, no. Hold huh. on. I don't, I don't remember all. The, there's 12 of them in all. Hawaii? No. Uh, I don't have a, oh, I bet the San Francisco one 
takes care of that. Yeah, the San Francisco, and they take uh, geographic areas. They take care of that whole area. Yeah, because they were. I think they were telling me uh, they take care of like Washington State, Oregon, part of like even Utah. I think New Mexico. Yeah, I'm trying to find on the uh, Wikipedia page where they have those. But St. Louis, uh, D.C., of course, New York. Uh, I'll get to it. But from there... This oh, is where we play, like, the operator waiting music. Yes. Boston, Philadelphia, Richmond, Virginia, Atlanta. I'm my own podcast. You're right, Dallas, San Francisco, Kansas City, nice. Minneapolis, okay. Chicago, and St. Louis. Okay. Why are there oh, multiple wow. Fed branches? Why are there Fed branches? Because of uh, it helps manage the local banks. So the Fed, like each each regional Fed, they loan money out to uh, banks in the region, right? Is that how that works? They help. Well, part of it's manage the banks. Yes, they're. I mean, ultimately, the one thing we should talk about too is the Federal Reserve. In the book, um, The Creature from Jekyll Island, it, it's a great book in the sense of it does have some conspiracy theories in it, but ultimately. Does this create? Does discuss how it actually was created, and one of the things that it just first off discusses it's not it's neither federal nor has reserves, uh, meaning it's really a, a private institution made up of other banks, and these banks manage the Federal Reserve. So ultimately, okay. from from there, they do the Federal Reserve helps manage the banks within their region. So mm. the the Federal Reserve, you know, not being federal, it. You're saying so it is completely it, not part of the government. It's, qua- it's quasi. I mean, it, ultimately, it's a quasi government agency. I mean, because they're part private, part public. The, the head of the, the Federal Reserve is appointed by the president, though. Correct. That's where the, the quasi issue But comes does he part. report to the president? He does not. He's supposed to be independent from the government in the sense of. So he, basically, it's a system that came into existence because of a government decision and the board is directed or is appointed by the president. But from then on, it's independent of the government, basically. Correct. It was, a, it was created in 1913 okay. on Jekyll Island, hence the name of the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Mm. And ultimately from there, um, it was the whole purpose of the Federal Reserve was to try to help prevent depressions or ultimately crises, bank crises uh, in the future. And I mean, whether that it's, it has actually helped that is debatable. That's a whole nother discussion. But it ultimately was trying to prevent some of the issues they had before they had a central bank. And it's not the first time the U.S. government has had a central bank. There's been, I believe, I know of two other times in history. One is during the Civil War and one, I think, soon after our government was created. So there, okay. this is not the first time we've had a central bank, but we've had times where we've not had a central bank. Well, to step back, so they control the money supply in that they print money. And then, like, how do they get this money they printed, like, into my hands? Like, because I've never had anyone show up at my door and, like, give me bills. Oh, you don't just walk down to the Fed building no. and collect the money? Because that's what I do. <laughs> they just hand me a suitcase every other Tuesday. Because I, mean, I want to get in on that, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, they work with the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department is the one who actually creates the bills that you hand in your, have in your wallet. Mm. You know, okay, they, so the Fed doesn't print the money. No, the Treasury actually prints that money. Gotcha. So what does the Fed do? So they just they just change a number in an Excel spreadsheet, and they're like, oh, we have $50 trillion now. Basically, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Well, that so, sounds like magic. Yeah, it is. It is magic. I mean, for the most part, the Federal Reserve doesn't have, I mean, one point, we talked about this offline, is the Federal Reserve actually had gold as a standard mm-hmm. where they had gold money to, you could go to the bank and actually trade your money for either silver or gold. So they had to and maintain that, the value of the dollar to match the to gold. To match, yeah, more or less. And it was in trade with other countries. So in other words, if the gold, 
if we had more uh, a trade deficit with, say, England, we would have to swap with them our gold, so it would even out in the end. Hmm. And ultimately, okay. from there, uh, we got off the gold standard in 1971, and now we're a totally faith-based uh, monetary system. So what that basically means is uh, we're relying on the government to determine what the value of our money is. Hmm. So you, you may be an atheist, but you still subscribe to the U.S. religion. <laughs> exactly. So, so the value of the dollar is basically the uh, promise of the government that says we have big enough guns that barbarians will not come steal your land, and we have infrastructure that will make sure everything keeps working. Trust us, wink, wink. Exactly, the full faith of the government. Where before there was some basis of, uh, you know, it was based on gold. Okay. I mean, whether or not that there are some pluses and minuses for that. I mean, from my end, Obviously, the minus is with it being our gold standard, it's hard to get out of certain crises like we had in 2008 without just printing money, where we could, we could print, where you have gold, it's kind of harder to do that. So that is one of the arguments for the Fed. Yeah. So to, to kind of like dive into that, um, what did the Fed do to get us out of the crisis? Because I, I know they did a lot, and it's also even controversial in... Yeah, it's still controversial. I mean, even to this day. I mean, ultimately... What they did is they, they opened the Fed window to say... What is the okay, Fed window? The Fed window is where banks can borrow money from the government, or from the Federal Reserve, I should say. At, in this case, was no no interest. Pretty much 0% interest. So it's basically like you go to the Federal Reserve, you're a bank. You're like, hey, yo, I need, I need like money. a billion dollars. And they're like, cool, just take it. <laughs> just take it. Okay, cool. At 0% interest. So therefore, from there, they actually um, they were able to... Um, from, that was one of the things they were able to do. On top of that, they were able to do quantitative easing. Basically, what that means is buying our um, treasury bonds from the government and helping push the interest rates lower for, say, mortgages in the end. So mm. I want to. We're, we're slowly getting off that QE. We're pretty much off that QE now. Now we've been discussing with the Federal Reserve at this point in time, even raising our rates from that 0% interest. Uh, okay, well, I want to talk on both of them. So, first, why. Would they ever lend banks money for zero interest? They're basically like, here's here's money and just give it back to us whenever you're done. Well, the, the whole purpose of it is to help stimulate the economy in the end. I mean, the, the, the Federal Reserve has really two mandates. I mean, one of them is ultimately price stabilization and the other is unemployment, to reduce unemployment. Some say the unemployment edition in 1979 has helped re- hurt the Federal Reserve's policies, but there's been those dual mandates that kind of juxtaposed to each other. So they're whether Hurts they their actually, policies in terms of make massive profit or like make people happy. Well, price stability means it just don't have much variance in the actual price of uh, buy, things you buy day to day, whether you go to the grocery store or not. Mm. And uh, where if you have constant inflation, meaning as the stuff is getting more and more expensive, as time goes on, that's bad. If we have deflation, that's also bad. I mean, ultimately you want to have a stability where it's not changing much over time. I, ironically, mm. if you could say from 1913... Uh, we've had ninety, pretty much ninety-six percent decrease in our value of our dollar since it, the Fed was originally created. So that that's pretty good, right? That stability is questionable. <laughs> so, uh, and the same thing with the unemployment factor—that's also questionable. I mean, so those those, but those are the two mandates about the Federal Reserve. They're they're trying to make sure that they have stability stability in our pricing and overall maximum employment for the people within the United States. So and aren't those two uh, factors like inversely correlated or something like that? Um, I can't say if they're inversely cor- uh, correlated, but there there are issues with the two because of if you have loose monetary policy, that means usually the the economy's in the crapper. 
And therefore you have to, mm. like you said, go out, we were talking about loaning to banks because if you have to try to stimulate the economy. So okay. they're, usually, they're not usually uh, parallel to each other. So at times of trying to make sure to keep the money stable, it may actually hurt unemployment. Yeah, yeah I've heard there's like a trade-off between it, basically. Yeah, so it's not, it's, it's, they are a little bit juxtaposed to each other. Okay. But cool. it's, not, it's not even, you can't say it's exactly correlated. There are other mm. factors. I mean, there's so many moving le levers in our economy. There's no simple one factor affect the economy. Like you move this lever and you, know, it, you lower interest rates and therefore the economy improves. It doesn't work like that necessarily. I mean, they have, the government, the Federal Reserve has economic models to help think will improve the economy. But in some cases that's worked, in some cases it's not. Gotcha. So um, <clears throat> why, why, okay, so why are the interest rates low? And then, I mean, I, I know that they'll eventually go up because I think it's like what goes down must come up or something like that. But well, so then why would they go up afterwards? I mean, ultimately they go up because the Fed determines the economy's working well. We have full employment. But what does it mean? Like if you have a low interest rate, like what, why does, what does that do for me? It lowers the prices of mortgages, let's say, or anything you loan. If, if ultimately if you have, you can borrow more money at cheaper rates, it provide, it causes the, the economy to be stimulated. Therefore, you can go out and buy your car or house that you could not afford before. Trampoline prices are down. <laughs> I'm leaving this episode right now. But yeah, so <laughs> if they, but, yeah, yeah I mean, so if, if the interest rate is low with the Fed, that means the bank can have lower interest rate, and then I can go, like you said, you can borrow for a car, for a house, whatever. Right. The whole purpose uh, is to stimulate the economy. Now, why would they want to raise interest rates if it becomes too heated? I mean, ultimately, the government. Again, tries to prevent, when I say government, I mean the Federal Reserve. The right. Federal Reserve tries to prevent it being too heated, where we had, obviously, during deflation of the 70s, we had you know, inflation rates of, say, 10, 11, 12%, the highest. And that's pretty substantial. So, in other words, in, the patent, in one year alone, things raised 10, 11, 12%. That's a significant amount of increase. So, so they, they don't want that either. That, on the, the flip side is you don't want to have too much inflation, which causes people to... Not you know, not keep up their wages along the way. So to maybe step back a little bit, there's this like whole inflation deflation thing, and the Federal Reserve wants to make sure that there's inflation because there's the belief that if uh, there's ever deflation, I know where you're going with this. But yeah. Go ahead. So so if there's ever deflation, so imagine you went to the the store and you saw like an LCD television cost a thousand dollars. And you went back tomorrow, and it cost $950. Like, whoa, the price just went down. Then you come back the next day, and it's $900. I mean, obviously, this is a very dramatic decrease. And you're like, well, I might as well wait to buy the LCD TV because it's getting cheaper. And that's what deflation is. And so then, because you're not spending your money, there's less economic activity, blah, 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 and people lose their jobs because they don't need to make TVs because everyone's waiting to buy the TV. I mean, right now we're so, the economy itself is now, because we're no longer attached to any type of uh, uh, gold, it, it's totally debt-based. So therefore, we do want, you do want some sort of level of inflation. Otherwise, you, like you described, it's just a never-ending death spiral, mm. it's called, where it gets, everything gets cheaper and people hold off to buy those things until they get to a level of they can either afford it or want to buy it at that price because and they feel like it's getting cheaper. But ultimately, the, the thing that i never seen discussed is that there's some point it comes stabilized. It, Things just don't fall down to forever. They have to reach some sort of open market stabilization rate. True. And what that is, it depends on the product. 
I do also want to say that there's the um, this whole inflation thing. It one serves because everyone it kind of encourages spending of money, but when there's inflation, the value of the dollar decreases. So the the value of the money you've saved decreases. So it encourages you to spend, but it also decreases the value of your debt which the U.S. government happens to have quite a lot of. So as they inflate the currency, it decreases proportionally, I mean, the, the amount that they owe. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, from our end as investors, we do care about inflation. That's one thing we should always, it's, it's the hidden tax, it's called. And you've got to be careful of that tax, where every year, you're, if you have money in the bank not earning any interest, which a lot of people do have now if they have a regular bank account, it's losing money on real terms. So, in fact, that is a hidden tax that's eating away at your money. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to make sure you're keeping that money actively used, being invested in whatever it may be. And, in fact, the policy, the Fed policy is causing you to do that because of, again, it's because you're earning nothing on your current uh, CDs, bank accounts, what have you, the Fed is more or less pushing you into more riskier assets. And that, that can be, a, you know, for obviously a senior citizen that's looking for, say, a safe investment, that's pretty hard to find this day and age to keep up with inflation. Yeah. So that, that's, a, that's a detrimental fact of these current policies in the past uh, seven years. So I got a question about inflation. Um, how stable have the rates of inflation been historically? I mean, the average is around 2 to 3%, depending on the numbers you, you read. Um, I mean, with that said, it's pretty stable. I mean, during the 70s, like I said, we had you know, some decent amount of inflation. During the De- Great Depression of the 30s, we had deflation. Uh, hmm. So it depends on... But on on the whole, since the Fed has been created, about three percent, let's say. So, is it is it a case where because I've heard people, you know, I have this retirement goal, and I'm like, I want to have this amount of money in 2014 dollars because it's going to be worth less in you know however many years, 18 years when I'm 40. Um, is it pretty accurate to just be like, okay, increase that by three percent to account for inflation? Yeah, you should always take you should always take in the long term. Uh, inflation is your, you should always look at your real returns and not without being inflation adjusted. So, I mean, real returns overall, you take it stock market, what have you, it, it, stock market, let's say is eight to 10%. With inflation and taxes, you're, the real returns you're getting are around maybe two or 3% on, say, yeah. the S&P 500. And I guess for, for like, for retirement, say I want X dollars, you know, by a certain date, is it uh, pretty accurate to just say, okay, take X dollars now? And then increase that by three percent for each I mean, year, if, and then just have, whatever I come out with, it's good. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, that's there are calculators that do that already. I mean, ultimately, you got to be careful of. You're assuming also the future inflation rate will be the same as what we've had in the past, say, thirty years. It yeah, may that's be higher question. or lower. I mean, ultimately, there's arguments for either side. We may have higher inflation because of all the Fed printing, mm. and you know, eventually we may have what's called velocity of the money where eventually we'll get into the economy and cause inflation. Right now, we haven't had inflation. That's been one of the biggest fears of, say, gold bugs, gold bugs being people who buy gold, uh, that we will have this massive bout of inflation. We haven't had that yet uh, because of uh, there's been what's called no velocity, velocity of the money in this system, meaning the money, all this money has been printed, but it really hasn't Everyone's been, holding it on the sidelines. Banks are holding on to right. it. People are holding on to it. It's not being sloshed around the system. As that velocity increases, we could have, it, could, it could take off very quickly. And it could be very detrimental if we had a massive bout of inflation. With that said, okay. we haven't had it. We, there are some arguments on the deflation side because of the aging baby boomers, because there's less people in the workforce. We may have a bout of inflation, deflation. So we could, we, we could even have even both. And we have had 
you know, higher, we've had both in some parts of our economy as well. We've had deflation, like you mentioned, buying a, a, a big screen TV or say, um, you know, various technology items in the past 10 years, they've decreased in value. But yet we've had inflation on, say, food in the past 10 years. Yeah. We've had inflation on just the value of gold in the past 10 years. And that's not that's not attributed to just normal inflation. It's uh, just basically the cheapness of the components and more efficient manufacturing, right? Um, I mean, it's various factors. You can have de- you can have deflation from uh, more efficient technologies. I mean, that's definitely a factor. Cheaper labor wa- cheap, cheaper labor rate as far as you you outsource it to China. There's various factors. It's mm-hmm. not just one number. But yes, you can have deflation because of technology. Okay. And we've had that. We've had bo- we've had both in our economy. We've had. You look at stuff like, uh, you know, good examples, um, a train ride for, uh, you know, MTA for New York City subway. It's increased in the past 10 years. It hasn't kept stabilized. It hasn't decreased. It's gone up in price. And it's not mm-hmm. pretty dramatic, actually, because of the cost of labor, because of the cost of materials to run those trains, stuff like that. Yeah. There's various components that, that causes the rate of inflation. And it's not just, it depends on what you're buying as well. It's not all, and there's different models they have, the government, to determine what's called the CPI or the rate of the growth of the economy, but also the rate of inflation. What's your, what's your core adjusted inflation? Meaning they take out food and gas because of those are considered very volatile. And with okay. those core, without, without those two things, gas and food, uh, that, that's what the core inflation is. And yeah. some people argue, well, you need food and you need gas to survive. And how do you, <laughs> how do you live without those two? You know, those should be counted as such. And we've had much higher inflation rates. And in some cases in their models, they also decrease the amount for college education, which obviously you, you, no one has to, you know, everyone knows that college, the rate of inflation has been double for colleges in the past 20 years. So that yeah. has increased double the amount of average rate of inflation compared to uh, what you're paying for, say, 20 years ago. When I went to college 20 years ago, it was much, much cheaper now for my school. Um, it was. Mm-hmm. I went to Clemson University. Couldn't you argue because there's more value? And now you're not against your education back then, <laughs> well, but you know maybe it's going up because they're providing more. Uh, well, I mean that's where, you know, that's where the Fed gets some sort of pricing models to say, okay, you can replace this computer with a more efficient one for cheaper price. There, it's called heuristics. Without getting into all the details, but heuristics can play a part in their comp- com- uh, computation of the inflation rate. Look, so. From my understanding, the Fed has two levers they can pull. They can pull the interest rate lever, and they can make it go. You know, they can make the interest rate go up. They can make it go down, and they could pull the other lever, which I didn't know they had until two thousand eight. Which is like we're going to buy shit like bonds, <laughs> and so one they you know they 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 well they also can also reserve status. I Meaning, how much a bank has to have in reserves as well. That's the, really the third measure. Is is that the government that makes that regulation, or is that the Fed? Well, it's part of the Fed. I mean, the Fed uh. ultimately determines how much, okay, how much you should have in reserves or gives a recommended policy what we should do. We should have 20% in reserves, so let's say. I, I, have, I have two questions for you, and I want to talk about the, the second lever, the one where they could like buy shit. Where does the Fed get money to buy shit? Like, how are they able to loan banks billions of dollars? How are they able to buy treasuries? Are they just like magician pulling the rabbit out of their hat? Do they have some sort of amount of money that... I mean, they have, the Fed has a balance sheet, but yeah, ultimately they can just pull the shit out of their hat and say, I have now, you know, 10 billion more in money. It's really, it is basically printing more money. So when we buy our bonds back and it makes... You know, and, you know, and it, it affects interest rates. We're buying that back with debt, or are we making money and then 
we're not taking on any debt. Like, how, how does that? I don't get that. That's a good question. Um, I would. I, my estimate is I, that's. I don't know the exact answer, but I would guess because of the government, the Federal Reserve is buying Treasury notes. Therefore, it's it's new debt. I mean, it's it's taking on new. The Fed has a new balance. Has their balance sheet, and their balance sheet has grown in the past seven years. And when you say balance sheet, is that in terms of assets they're valued at, or or yeah, just exactly. debts? They have they both. They they have a balance sheet like a normal business. In fact, mm. so they're they're taking on more debt. They've taken on. I think the, the number is four trillion in the past uh, seven years. Hmm. But that debt earns interest for the Fed, right? Uh, I, I guess, I mean, it's, you kind of paying Peter to rob, rob Paul to pay Peter type of thing. Mm. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I guess from my standpoint, I'm, I'm more the Austrian economic standpoint. You're, you're, you're paying you. The only way the economy can grow is based on productivity. You know, these type of number games is really just number games. You're just manipulating the system to hopefully, uh, you know, uh, stir up spirits to help, uh, buy things as an example. And, um, you know, ultimately, productivity is what increases the economy, not uh, manipulating the Fed Reserve's uh, balance sheet. I mean, ultimately, that's what I think is just all fake, fake prosperity. It's not real prosperity. So, so to go down that, that path a little bit, to, you know, obviously what the Fed does has a direct impact on what happens in the market, you know, and it stirs people to, to spend or whatever. But do you think it, like, nets out at, at kind of nothing? You know, like, like, I mean, does it make the point of like kill the Fed or the Fed should always exist? Does it kind of make it a moot point? I mean, there there are pluses and minuses on both sides of the the argument. I mean, the Federal Reserve has been around since 1913. I mean, they've had the ability to, they've also made some major screw ups. I mean, you can definitely point to the Great Depression as being a major screw up in monetary policy. Although some argue you can say 2008 kind of, Saved, saved us from major issues during 2008, 2009. Um, you know, the thing is... Wait, what saved quite, us from major issues? In- the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve got us out of the... You know, we had a monetary crisis. We, mm. we had issues where, you know, we, we had banks that just literally could not uh, find buyers of debt at the time. So that, therefore, they were in trouble of collapsing. Mm. And what if that caused a cascading effect? Is one of the, the, the common theories that would have happened in 2008 if we if, if the federal reserve didn't inv- get involved like fiat money would have died type thing basically yeah i mean the the que- then on the ar- the flip argument is though people have said well we had this crisis because of the federal reserve because of the monetary policies they had in ni- you know during 1999 the dot com era and then after that with the federal reserve having low interest rates to you know help with housing so they created these asset bubbles in effect basically caused the 2008 crisis and we're just right now delaying the next crisis in, say, the next five, ten years. That's some of the arguments that people are saying that might happen in the future. We're just, we're just kicking the can down the road. I mean, ultimately, in Keynesian economics, you know, we, the, the whole theory is we're eventually all dead, which is true. But ultimately, we're, we may have to pay the piper at some point. Hmm. Yeah. Lot to chew on. If we if we didn't put the, uh, the audience to sleep now, well, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's interesting, and I mean, I, I guess I I, I, was, I thought Thomas would have a, a question, but I have to kind of follow on the whole interest rate piece. Um, the Federal Reserve, like, do do they make money when they raise the interest rate? 
Like, what? I mean, what is the meaning of the interest rate? Well, QE, I, QE actually is is printing. It's printing money and buying bonds from U.S. government bonds from that. The mon, the actual interest rate is just affecting the interest rate borrowing between banks. Well, or, right. or from you in the end. Look, so so I see it as like two things. It's either like the Fed is the cop and they're saying banks when you're borrowing, you have to borrow at this rate because we said so, or what what the way maybe I understood it is like the Fed will loan money at this rate and they set the benchmark. Right? And then bank rates. There I mean there's the, the one at which they loan, and then there's the the bank rate, which they don't they don't set that they uh, influence that through buying bonds, right? Well, that's one buying bonds is one way to affect even longer term rates. I mean, ultimately, yeah, the the current the interest rate that they they have the current federal funds rate helps more affect short term rates. The QE process was to help affect more longer term rates, help which hence affect the mortgage market. You know, usually um, mortgages are based on ten year bonds. Yeah. So with that said, they were able to with QE to help affect that longer term rate, where the, normal normal interest rate affects the shorter term, you know, less than five years. Yeah, and they have another rate which isn't an interest rate, but the reserve rate, right? The reserve rate. That's that's the bank's reserve rate. That's what they again between um, the interbanks. So, or wait, is there? I mean, what they charge you is going to be much higher, obviously, because they're they're trying to make money on the bank loan itself. Isn't there a way that they can set like how much uh, cash banks are supposed to have in on reserves? reserves? Yeah, exactly. That that's the third lever, if you will. The, the okay. QE one is the new invention that you know Bank Bernanke documented years ago. I forget in some white paper he wrote as a college professor, I believe. I'm, mm. Memory doesn't. I don't remember completely what he stated it in, but it was something where he he stated using that policy, and he did it in 2008, 2009. Till, okay. Well, actually, till this day, until 2014. So and that, that QE, yeah, the oh, QE yeah. policy affects, you know, again, the longer term interest rates. The, the interest rate policy is the other lever that's classically been used. I mean, we've never had, we never really had a 0% interest rate for so long. I mean, this, what they call ZERP, 0% uh, interest rate has been around for, again, about seven years now. And again, it, the question people ask is, it, is it too, has it been too detrimental in our society? Has it actually hurt savers, hurt long term economic prospects? Yeah. So that being said, you know, there are plenty of people and I I know some of them personally that think the Fed is the devil, that it's destroying all things good in the world. Um do you think we're we're better off with the Fed? Do you think that they help us? Should we, you know, take our our medicine the hard way, you know, in times like 2008 like um yeah, I I don't know. I have a mixed opinion. I guess for my end, I take it as the Fed hasn't been all bad. Although the question I ask is, again, is the, the central planning that they've done over the years helped or hurt in the long run? And I'm, I guess in some cases, think it, yes, they may have saved us, again, the example of 2008, 2009, saved us from a crisis. But it could be said they're the ones that created the crisis to begin with. Hmm. So hmm. are they really helping us? Is it just you know, causing these big booms and busts, then really, should we just have a normal economic cycle? You know, are they hurting the economy by creating these artificial prosperity, prosperity times where you have people investing, what's called malinvestment? Are they investing in things they shouldn't be doing? You know, are they investing in stocks, you know, let's say a startup company like Tesla, 
that shouldn't really be exist in existence because of right now the market is so low, people are desperate for things to increase in value. Mm. Are they creating bubbles like in San Francisco, in the real estate bubble? Or did they create the previous real estate bubble? Or did they create the tech bubble of 1999? You know, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, that, that could be said. The, on the flip side is, yeah, they could help us at times of need, where people have suggested, uh, Milton Freeman once said, why not just have it where it's automated? It's a computer that just spits out an interest rate and let it do it automatically and not have any people involved. And, the, and I somewhat agree with that. So it's more of a, just a pure monetary number that just is made up. It's based on economic conditions. It's no, you know, no human is involved. Right now we have people involved, a board of, you know, a board of governors that help determine whether or not this, what this Fed rate should be and what policy they should follow. And I question is that, you know, is central planning in that respect where humans are involved, is that a good policy? I kind of question it. So well, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. We can Nailed it! <laughs> He's a robo-advisor. <laughs> that was, that was perfect right there. Oh my god, it had, seriously, squish. <laughs> so, basically, you're, you're saying the Federal Reserve um, should follow the lead of, of the robo-advisors. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I question that. So, it's a, it's a valid, I, I mean, at least for my end, I see the point of having a central bank, so I'm not totally against it, but, you know, we're kind of right now in the past uh, seven years, we're kind of, with all the other central banks out there, Europe and, you know, Bank of Japan, we're all kind of the, it's been said we're in a currency war. We were kind of racing to the bottom. Who can print the fastest their money and devalue their money the fastest? And in the past year, we've been losing that race. We're, our value, the value of our dollar has appreciated. And we're, you know, Japan has hit the, stepped the, uh, put the, uh, Stepped on the gas pedal, and uh, England as well, or, and not England, I should say, Europe as well has also stepped on the gas pedal. Mm. So we our our dollars appreciated in the past year, and I'm all for you know I think we should have a strong dollar, but in the same notion, um, you know, it's a race to the bottom with the the economic policies that are all of them. Well, basically, all the central banks are doing the same thing, mm. and they're going in a lot of it's going in uncharted territories with the amount of debts we have. So it's it's interesting what could happen. You know, we, some cases we really don't know. You know, the, the economic professors prof profess they know what's going to happen. We really don't know what's going to happen. We could have deflation. Like I've said, we could have hyperinflation. I mean, in previous times we've had hyperinflation, if you look at other histor historical examples. To go back to your estranged cousin, your estranged cousin Ned, right? Um, he Should he care or be in tune to... Like at least on the, on a broad sense, what the Fed is doing in terms of interest rates, like does that affect him? I, I would ask the question: Can what can you do as a person? I mean, I, that's something I've asked quite a bit. Is there anything you can do with these? Even if you hate these economic policies, is there anything you can do personally to protect yourself? I think that's a valid question. In terms of should they care about what the Fed does directly? Maybe to a degree, but ultimately, the question I ask is: What can you do about it? And so I'll tell you what, I wasn't thinking to protect yourself from it. I was thinking on having the knowledge and how you might react to adjust what you're doing so you could do better, right? Because protect yourself from it, let's go under the guise that um, the Fed is not there to fuck us all. Like, it's it's trying to do something good, so how can we... Like, could he benefit from this knowledge, or is it just kind of high-flying whatever? I would probably more... Be on the stance of high flying. I, I'm because again, some of it is we. You know, you really don't. 
what they profess will happen. I mean, you look at Ben Bernanke, who's, who's touted in 2007, 2006, there is no housing bubble. I mean, I kid you not, there's video of him professing this in public statements. So, you know. He also so, didn't know, I guess. He couldn't. Well, that, but that's my point is, if you have a central planner who's supposed to be in the know, the head of the Federal Reserve, and he can't even get it right, what's to say you as an individual can get it right as well? Mm, yeah. So I, I look at more from what, what bets can I hedge against or what can I do to protect myself should we have deflation? What can I do if we have inflation? What can I do? Again, more of an asset allocation strategy yeah. and say actively, I mean, it doesn't hurt. You should be actively educated in what the Fed does, I think. But in terms yeah. of what you can do directly with the Fed, there's not much you can do. I mean, other than leaving the United States, there's not much you can do in terms of the Fed policy. If, the, if they decide to print, you know, say $10 trillion more. There's not much you can do about it as an individual. I mean, you can try to, they're not directly elected by you. They're elected by our government, in this case, the president, like you said. Well, you said, uh, you know, you could leave the country as one option, but I mean, maybe I don't understand it perfectly. Could you invest in other countries' markets to counteract you can. what That's, the Fed you can, does? You can also invest in currencies. I mean, I don't really consider currencies, gold for that matter, as an investment, but you can hold on to currencies outside the United States. Obviously, there's, there's issues with that compliance now with what's called FACTA. Mm. You have to be compliant with uh, the government and report that if you have over $10,000, you have to report it to the government that you have this assets outside of the United States. So you could do that, but it, it can be, in some cases, banks don't even want to deal with you because of you're inside mm. the United States. So that's a whole, you know, another discussion. But ultimately, uh, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck with what we have to deal with. I mean, most the average schmo, I think, can't do much other than have a bank account with you know a U.S. bank. Yeah. Look, they they say or they say, meaning the the whispers of whatever, that mm -hmm. uh, the interest rates will increase in September. Right? Will does that affect anything that you like? Any actions you will take? Is there anything that you will now consider? Um, or do you literally like three sheets to the wind, like they do what they do and that's, you know, um, for me personally, I mean, it can mean bad things. I mean, a, a good example, I was talking to a friend about this. Let's say you, you're investing in individual stocks and let's say you, you look at a company that's heavily in debt right now because debt is really cheap. Mm. Uh, let's say the interest rate does rise. That means that company's debt is going to cost more and it's going to hurt their bottom line. So it could actually affect the economy. It goes back to what we were saying. You, they, in, the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates to stimulate the economy. They take the, the, um, the punch bowl away from the party, so to speak. That actually can slow down the economy as well. Mm. So it can do the other side, and especially mm. if companies are heavily in debt. If you have no debt, and you, you're a company that has, let's say Apple is a great example. Apple has like 19, $119 billion in the bank. Some of it obviously is outside the United States shores, but from there they can you know, they have no debt, so they don't have to worry about the interest rates. In fact, they've actually taken some short-term debts to help, quote-unquote, repatriate their money that's outside the United States without paying tax on it. Again, mm -hmm. that gets into a whole other uh, discussion, but ultimately, they're trying to, with, a, with companies with no debt or little debt, and that's something for you personally, if you can actually have very little debt or no debt, that might be to your advantage if the cost of debt increases. So, the, okay. or, or try to get into fixed income debt, fixed, I'm sorry, fixed rate debt, meaning like if you have a mortgage that's at three and a half percent, maybe that's the time to keep it locked in and get a 30 year mm, right. and going out for, a, say, a, a fixed, either a shorter term 15 year or adjustable rate arm, let's say a five yeah. year. Hmm. So it may make sense to go for a longer term. That's one thing you can do. 
if you think rates are going to go higher. If you think they're going to stay low, then yeah, stay in an arm for five years and you know, hopefully keep your fingers crossed and it doesn't go higher. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, that's one thing you do. I mean, you can diversify and, like you said, have currencies or even have gold to a degree. I'm, I kind of believe to a certain degree you should have gold, but that's not to say gold is an investment. It's really currency. It's money. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than having a dollar bill. It doesn't earn interest, so therefore it just sits there. So that's you. ultimately you should have money that you know does something for you. I mean, gold can be looked at as a hedge against you know, stupid Federal Reserve policy. I just, I feel like I have to add. So gold, right? Um, let's say there's a nuclear apocalypse and all societies are destroyed. You know, zombies. Like all, right, zombies. This is, this is the scenario that I feel people who buy gold envision. There are zombies, so of course I have gold because now I could buy shit. However, when there's a zombie apocalypse, what the fuck are you going to do with gold? Except for beat someone to death with it. Well, the, the, the classic scenario I've always heard against gold is, well, you can't eat gold. Well, that's true, but you can't eat money either. Mm. I mean, you can't, you eventually have to, the whole idea of money, this is the, the biggest fallacy. Again, well, first, it's not an investment. You know, money, money is, a, a, be a dollar bill or gold, it's a currency. It's something to help facilitate the exchange of goods. So in other words, you go out and work your tail off, you make money, it's stored in dollars. You know, it could be stored in gold as well. It just helps facilitate you to go to someone else and say, I want to buy that TV over there instead of trading or bartering a sheep. You know, you, mm. instead of giving a sheep for your TV, you, buy, you give them a dollar bill. So therefore, right. gold is no different. So it's ultimately a facilitator of exchange. And gold does have a long history of that. So that's not to say gold is completely pointless or baseless. It does have some sort of exchange value. I mean, it is sort of arbitrary what it's worth. And it's yeah. no different than the dollar bill, though. The dollar bill has done the same thing by the Federal Reserve. It's, it's saying, okay, we're, and, and also other, you know, through open, the market itself, where right now our dollar bill is very strong. But ultimately, you know, those things are just made up numbers. It's whatever people feel it's worth. So ultimately, yeah. you know, gold is just another means to exchange those, that, that, the, keep the store of value. It's a store of value to you. And yeah, and the reason that gold became, you know, kind of the standard is because it's easy to coin. Yeah, and exactly. It's hard it's to you to like make a symbol of a government. It's hard to replicate. Expanding. It's hard to right. for, you know fabricate a fake. I mean, it had a lot of properties that made gold very intrinsic use for it. Although the interesting thing is, if you look at uh, in Roman times, they would shave off the sides of the coin itself to help devalue the coin. So they had inflation hmm. even during Roman times. Hmm. Yeah. So you know that. So things can be, and that's not to say. Even if we went to a gold standard let's say back with the Federal Reserve, they still could have a ratio of, okay, instead of one to one, one gold to whatever dollar bill it is, let's make it two to one or, yeah. vice or, or reverse it the other way. They, they could still use gold as a, a basis and then value things on what the dollar should be on some ratio. And they've been suggesting doing that even in, say, China, where they're going to use possibly a basket, of cur- a basket of commodities to determine the value of their yuan. Mm. Now, Andrew... You should know that if it's a zombie apocalypse, we'll be using bottle caps. <laughs> I, I thought it would be pogs and slammers. <laughs> you, you laugh. They actually used rocks at one point. Uh, There's a great book by Milton Freeman. It's uh, called, uh, I had it written up here, Big Money Mischief. Mm. And they used rocks. And the size of the rock determined how, how valuable you were, how wealthy you were. And uh, it was in some island in the Polynesian Islands, I believe. I forget the exact location. But the French took it over. 
and they were confiscating these rocks, these boulders. <laughs> and uh, my point is, it could be anything. I mean, it could be shells. They use shells, wigwam, you know, wigwams. They use, use yep. all sorts of things over time to determine what uh, as a, a means of exchange. Instead of again trading your goat, your goat for that sheep, mm. they used actual you know coins to help facilitate that transaction. That's all it does. It. You know, no times are bad time. when they're confiscating your rocks. Exactly. <laughs> Which is I mean, interesting. I've got a book on my shelf that I haven't dug into yet called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. And I think we'll dig into it on the show once I've read it. But there's some interesting like anthropology about how people exchange goods before gold coins. and It wasn't efficient. I mean, it was, it was very honestly, inefficient. Well, it's actually funny because uh, a lot of anthropology has kind of proven that uh, just like straight up barter didn't really happen that much. It was more just tight-knit societies just kind of operated on social debt. Uh, and barter only happened, you know, the reason we started using gold is because when soldiers are in an army are expanding, they need to be paid and they don't really want to be paid on debt because they're pretty aware they're going to die soon, most likely. <laughs> so they want to be paid now. And gold helps with that, especially since you can enslave local populations to mine it for you. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'll be an episode. So ultimately, and even Bitcoin, you know, the, the popular mm. uh, currency that's online now. Speaking of enslaving local populations, <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Bitcoin's another currency. It's, not, it's nothing, it's, again, it's what other people think it should be valued at. It's totally yep. arbitrary. Mm. So, that, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately diversifying into various currencies could help, you know, help prevent you from stupid Federal Reserve policies in the end. Yeah, exactly. So do you guys think we've covered it pretty well in this episode? I think we've, we've, Covered it with like a blanket and then beat it to death. (laughs) Without getting too political as well. I mean, I I didn't get into the politics of the Federal Reserve and some of the issues I have with it. But it's it's a complicated subject. There's no, you know, there's a lot of you know areas that are not totally clearly defined, and some questions of whether how effective the Federal Reserve is. That that could actually be a new segment: Mm -hmm. money conspiracy theories with Larry Ludwig. Uh, I didn't even do a single Ted Nugent impression. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah i think we stayed pretty well in the middle here yeah, yeah. i think it was pretty good <laughs> cool cool all right guys well hey if you got questions about this topic or anything else related to money you can email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com and that'll go to andrew so have fun with that <laughs> and you can also subscribe to the show on itunes or wherever it is you listen to which is cool you know what i'm actually happy that uh, apple included the podcast app in ios now yes now everyone has to listen stats that most people listen on that. And it used to just be like desktop or unknown player or something yeah. like that. So I'm pretty stoked about that. So if you have an iPhone, open up the podcast app and you'll find our podcast there, which is nice. Subscribe, That's fun. Please. Subscribe is cool. And you can leave a review and rating. That always helps. We love the feedback and so do the search algorithms and all that cool stuff. Ah, I don't know yes. if you've noticed, but uh, there were no ads on this episode. Or last episode, or the other 280-something episodes before that. <laughs> and the reason is either because we're psychopaths, probably more because we're psychopaths, or because we value the fact that we don't want to like, m- like numb your brain with like ads. If you appreciate that and you like what we do, please visit our Patreon page. ListenMoneyMatters.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I made a video for you that is either really funny or the mm-hmm. dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life. At least watch it, please, for me. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
And hey, the, this week's review comes from Annie Bella on iTunes. She says, you guys are amazing. Seriously. <laughs> I'm actually having fun learning about finance. I'm a recent grad, thus have lots of student loans and debt all over the place. But thanks to you, I just recently prepared a plan which can keep on keep me on track. And I finally feel that I'm actually getting close to living debt free. Thank you guys so much. Keep up the great attitude. We'll do that. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> And hey, if you want to find our favorite money management resources, they are over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. You'll find books there as well and all sorts of cool stuff. So thanks again for hanging out with us. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show.